Namaste and welcome. This is Jainil Dalal and you are listening to the Design MBA. This podcast is a real-life MBA program for designers where we interview design hustlers and learn the skills, mindset necessary for a designer to launch a business venture. You can learn more, find past episodes and stay updated at designmba.show. Why are you listening to this podcast? Think about it. Deep down, you want to grow in your design career. And I've been in your shoes. I've pushed pixels for years without really knowing how the hell do I grow in my design career. So I've created a free email course for you to help you level up your design career. The strategies I share in this 7-day email course are actionable and used by over 700 plus designers with success. So head over to levelup.designmba.show or you can find the link to this email course in the show notes. Level up your design career today. So today's amazing guest is Matt Mills Miller, or as he's fondly known as Mills. Mills founded digital product design studio Us2 with John Sinclair in 2004. In the 14 years since, Us2 has expanded to include an independent game studio, Us2 Adventure, a startup fund, an incubator that supports early stage startups and digital companies. The company's driving ethos is to create meaningful products and services. Alongside designing products for the likes of Sky and Facebook, it developed Google DeepMind Stream app, which can be used to remotely monitor patients from hospitals and created the phenomenally successful mobile and tablet game, Monument Valley. Mills stepped away from his operational duties as Us2 to head up Adventure, which provides support, investment, and a workplace for startups at his London studio in 2017. Without further ado, Matt, my friend, welcome to the show. Oh my God, it's so good to hear you call me Matt. I don't think it's only my mum and my wife uh, and you call me (laughs) Matt, which means you're in a special trio there. And uh, but it's good to him. I mean, usually I'm Matt when I've done something wrong, which uh, maybe I have done something wrong. So you know, so I don't, mate. But uh, no, lovely intro, dude. It was uh, it's lovely to hear that stuff, especially with sort of you know the stuff we were talking about before this, and you know, going through all the changes I've been going through. Yeah, so it's kind of nice to be reminded. So I'm curious, man. Going back, literally like turning down the clock, what led you to create your own design agency, us two, instead of just saying that hey, I'm going to work at some other company as an employee. I think I always had this inherent sort of need and requirement to probably to prove something to myself. I don't know, something to do with my background. That's what the therapist says. But, you know, I, was, I am dyslexic. I actually discovered recently or in the last year that I have ADHD. And I guess part of, you know, the, the, that combination, I think, has meant that, oh, my God, I've ruined your, uh, you told me to turn it off. My blooming wife was there phoning. That's part of the fun of this thing. It's just so lo-fi, hi-fi at the same time. So it's ring. I got a ring downstairs. But um, I had this, I think that combination of those two things meant that I've always felt the need to do my own things. And I found it really difficult to, not to be told what to do, because I'm more than happy to follow instructions. But I think that just meant that deep down, I always knew I, I, I wanted to create something that was going to be mine. I always had this feeling at school and that led you know into the into university that that I wanted to do things that were different to other people. I, I really... I'd say cringe, but it's not cringe. I, I really get frustrated with sort of conventional ways of doing things. And I find, yeah. and I think that's actually down to the fact that being dyslexic and having ADHD meant that you, I had to come up with new ways of, of approaching problems that weren't conventional. Mm-hmm. So anyway, going through university, I use university as a time to, 
I studied graphic design. Mm-hmm. I used it more as a chance to grow up. Definitely no way I, I didn't do that much work. I mean, I, I think I, deep down I, was, I had a natural basic you know, sort of grasp of design. You know, I, I like to think at the time I was good at design and probably meant that's the reason I didn't do much work. I was probably a bit arrogant. But my, uh, <laughs> my best friend, Sinks, or, or John Sinclair, as you call him, he gets called Sinks these days. Um, yeah. He was down in London while I was studying over in a place called Bath, which is west of England. And mm-hmm. I think we had always been, well, we had always been friends since we were 11. And we always had this real appreciation for design. I think when you're young, I don't think you know exactly what it is you want to do. But both of us came from families that appreciated and understood the power yeah. of design. So we're very lucky in that context. And when we left university, Sinks got me, sort of pulled me into a job. Like the beauty of being in London, and he was at a place called St. Martin's, which was a very famous design school. And the beauty of being in that type of school, in that environment, is you get a lot of access to, you know, because you're in the hub of, you know, arguably London being one of the hubs of design. And so over those summers and while he was doing his course, he was always, he was always doing a work experience at different companies. And when through that, he got to know a guy called Dom, and Dom had, was, had started a small, a very small animation studio. I mean, no one knew who it mm-hmm. was. It was him and one of his best friends. And Sinks just phoned me up one day towards the end of you know term when I should be thinking about how am I going to get a job, and just said, "Look, this this guy's a bit loony, yeah, but he's keen to like meet you." And you know, I told him that you were a great designer, and you know, he thinks was more of an ideas guy or like a developer as well. So we went and saw the guy. And those three years, I'll fast forward now, but those three years really, really taught me and Sinks that what we really hoped would happen, that you can blend work and play, that actually, if you love what you're doing, then, and you have an incredible environment that Dom really fostered, it was a really small studio, and at the same time, you have this burgeoning world of digital, which was just starting. Mm-hmm. We came out of college in 2000, so, or 2001, and digital was becoming a thing. Wow. I think Deep End were famously starting to launch these sort of amazing flash websites, and, you know, design mm-hmm. was taking center stage. And we were, you know, before we started at Big Animal, I don't think, I still think I was a bit sort of naive to the sort of world of, of digital design, but. Before I took that job, actually, I was given the opportunity because I, I think it turned out that I was a fairly good designer and they're a famous branding agency called The Team had, had offered me a job. So I remember having this, this decision to make. Do I want to go with an established design studio, fairly big, you know, I would have had mm-hmm. a chance to learn from some great designers and I'd really build yep. up that design skills. Or do I take this job with my best mate with two guys that were only a few years old enough that really didn't have, didn't really know what they were doing. They just were passionate. Yeah. And yeah, it was in East London. And it's just like, <laughs> well, of course I'm going to take that one. So we took that. And those three years, what we learned now, as I said, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we never left the studio. We were, by pure fluke, Dom had a close friend who was the, one of the design directors in Japan for Sony. So mm-hmm. Sony at that time were looking for European sort of design taste to sort of influence yeah. their own market, but also what they were doing. They wanted to sort of be able to challenge. I don't know. They, were, they wanted Sony to be bigger. You know, they, and they wanted me and Sinks, and they we were the guys to give them mm-hmm. that. But actually, they, there we spent three years really just honing our understanding of of user interface design, and we're talking very primitive. You know, compared to what we've done over the last few years, you know, this was really basic stuff like pixel pushing, yeah. if anything. But those, you know, the, we were very lucky that in that three years, we really fell in love with the idea of you know user interface. That was. It was still fairly new. I mean, you know, websites were the only things that people really understood you could interact with properly. 
from those three years working there with Dom and getting that experience of how it, it's like to be in a startup studio, you just had that moment where you said to Sync, like, hey, man, or hey, mate, let's just do our own studio. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we've talked about like, we don't ever remember like an exact moment where we said like, okay, let's do mm -hmm. this. I think we always knew that ultimately we wanted to do it. And I think it was a lot easier for us to make that decision because we could sense that Dom and Matt had different ideas for where they wanted to take Big Animal. Primarily those two were, they were, they were passionate about animation and Sinks and myself were mm -hmm. not. We were really into interface design and that wasn't their passion. I think what happened is, you know, as what we realized is that while you, you know, what we did is we had a head stand. We were working so hard because we absolutely loved it. You know, we were partying. Yeah. You know, I never saw my wife. The joke was, well, the joke now that she tells me was that, you know, she was number two and the, or she was number three. The kids were number two <laughs> and us two was, well, sorry, what would become us two was number one. But what would happen is we started to think that this wasn't the right for us. And we felt like, it's, you know, now is probably a good time to go for that. And actually what happened is that Sony Ericsson or Sony and Ericsson came together and decided that they were going to try and take on Nokia. So we're talking about yeah. the, the emergence of mobile. You know, I was at college when yeah. I got my first phone that did nothing but phone people. But yet four years later, Sony Ericsson is born. And we had such a close That was one of my first phones. The Sony W550i, the, the Walkman series. Yeah, but, well, there we go. So <laughs> actually, it was the Walkman series that was Sinks and myself were tasked, were, were exclusively working on. So we had to pitch. Oh, so my we, God. When I say pitch, like we were very close friends with Rui, who was the design director. And we really went to town with our sort of these three proposals. I still remember now it was called Equalizer. I mean, you basically move. You, I mean, what they were trying to do is position Walkman, you know, bring this Walkman brand to the phones. And how do you, you know, yeah. Nokia had a very classic design. It was very simple, but yeah. Sony wanted more flair. And, you know, they wanted us to push it. And we definitely did push it. And, you know, some of it was virtually, was unusable in some some way. But but we won that contract. And that contract was for Sinks and myself to basically be hired continuously for the, well, for the oh, foreseeable wow. future. And very quickly, we just used that to, to expand, like, what do they call it? Lambda and expand, or whatever they say. And, you know, <laughs> we just, we, they couldn't give us enough. I think a combination of they love what we did, but also they, you know, some of these big companies have bizarre issues where they can't hire internal staff, but they can hire yeah. consultants or, you know, <laughs> at, at triple the cost, let's say. I mean, I say triple yeah. the cost. We were being paid, you know, our rates then were like, I think at best they were like £225 per person per day. You know, I mean, people are laughing. Oh, wow. But, but, you know, having, I think, you know, when you're starting a new bit of business and you've got a guaranteed contract of, what's that, 12 grand or whatever coming in every month, you know, it allowed us to really focus our attention on the work. And at that stage, we were hands-on doing it. And what we didn't realize was that mobile, you know, we had no foresight. Mobile yeah. was going to become big, believe it or mm -hmm. not. We didn't know that. And actually for a few years, because it was well before the iPhone, you know, we would have to, we would consciously be telling people that although we do a lot of work in mobile, we promise you it was cool stuff. It was interesting. Yeah. You know, little did we know that when the, you know, when the mobile phone really becomes big with the iPhone, you know, we have by then our studio is probably 60 people. Wow. And we've spent years and years understanding, you know, the finesse of working on a small screen yeah. where all the big design studios weren't. So, you know, a lot of things collide together to be very lucky, you know. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have ADHD. I also have ADHD. And I like to think that maybe ADHD is a designer's best friend. It's like a double-edged sword. So in your case, you're building this agency, you're growing. So you still have to be focused on all the everyday, day-to-day -day tasks and stuff. So how did you manage that with your 
ADHD because it might be that you're working on a project, then you just lose interest because I also lose interest sometimes. But certain times we have to focus for long enough for the project to come to fruition. It's an interesting one because, I yeah, so as I said, I, I only found, I'm 42 now and I found out last year. So maybe just after I was 41. You don't look 42. Oh, I know. Yes, yes, sir. Dude, you're more ripped than some of the people my age. So I'm just, just putting it out there. <laughs> you're very kind, mate. You're very kind. So yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think I always, as I said, back to what I thought said at the beginning, is that I always knew that I felt different. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what that was. And I certainly had no any inkling that it was ADHD. And actually, you said there, you have to focus and do certain things. The thing is, I had a best mate, Sinks, who yeah, me and him together, we, you know, we named the company us too. Together, we're we're like the, we say we're one. <laughs> we're good enough as one person. But you know, he, yeah. I definitely can't do a lot of those things. I get no, as you know, you don't get much of a dopamine kick out of doing a lot of administrative tasks, which you absolutely yeah. need to be doing in the business. So there's no ch- <laughs> chance I could have done this without things. But you know, our relationship was so strong in that you know, my we kind of without even discussing it, I was the more outwardly going one. I was the one that was kind of wanting us not i wouldn't say grow for growing sake but uh, you know i i mm-hmm. i was never satisfied and so yeah together i think you know since has got a different temperament he actually he gets a real kick out of solving any problem he's always been you know he's always been extremely hard worker and um and it, you know as long as he's getting a task done the best that he can do it then he'll oh, wow. he'll be happy yeah i mean it's a dream versus me <laughs> and you who could do any you know anything we can not to do it is gets us the yeah and I think I actually think for my own ADHD, and I don't uh, it'd be interesting to hear with you, but it's actually got, I think over the last few years, I think it seemed to sort of ramped up a bit more. I think as I've, because I think what I'm understanding with hyperfocus is, I know with ADHD that you can have a hyperfocus on something and yet you could yeah. be completely useless at things that just uh, with low dopamine kicks. But yet my hyperfocus was so strong around us two. Yeah. You know, I, I remember for a good, I mean, us two is actually 16 years now, but I remember, wow. I would say for 12, well, until Monument Valley, which was 2014, so six years ago, nearly seven, I was, my hyper-focus was us two. I couldn't really understand why I would want to spend any of my time doing anything other than, than yeah. building that business. And that meant even, you know, not seeing my wife and not seeing my kids because, and I guess that was, without knowing it, that was ADHD really kicking in. So yeah, I would things gets really uh, had got really annoyed me for years because because you know I'd go into a room and if if the setup of the room wasn't right you know I'd be I'd have a hissy fit or you know we could launch the big <laughs> we could launch the biggest product or project ever and it would be amazing but yet some tiny little thing could happen that's got nothing to do with anything and that would be much bigger in my head yeah it's a mad time and I, you know, I'm having to learn, I'm learning how to utilize ADHD. Yeah. Like for example, knowing that I was coming to speak to you today and it's the end of the day in London, I made sure that I didn't like spend the entire day burning my brain out because then I would have been even more useless than I'm likely to be now. So you know, I think that's the beauty of in knowing that I have ADHD means yeah. that I can now look into it, not that I have, yeah. and sort of process it better each day. I like the view of ADHD is like having a Ferrari, but then having a brakes of like a Toyota. Like you don't have the Ferrari type disc brake. So I look at it as like, I need to teach myself to like increase that brake. So just like you, the hyper focus I have is like on design MBA. But now within that, I give myself complete freedom. Like if I want to like do an interview today, I can do an interview. If I want to like write a blog, then write a blog. So, or even reading books, like read whatever you want. So uh, there's times and areas where 
give myself the freedom. But then there are areas where either like I outsource to someone like the administrative task or have someone hold me accountable. Like, all right, you said you're going to do this. What happened with it? I think that accountability thing is definitely a big, is a strong thing. It's something I've, I wouldn't say suffered from over the last few years, but I think, you know, where I am today, at one point, you know, we're running a business with 400 people around the world, you know, then, and we've launched, you know, by then we've also famously made a game that finally has done well after like 16 attempts. And then we've got a game studio. I guess as it got bigger, I didn't lose passion for it, but I think, yeah. Looking back now, I, it was no longer right for me because where my skills are is they're very early stage tactility where it's less about, yeah. it's not about the optimization, it's not about the systems, it's not about the processes that you absolutely need to run a big 400 yeah. person company. It's about heart, it's about it's about belief, it's about risk that others won't risk. And I think, you know, so I started, you know, investing our money and my own money into very early stage creative companies. And again, I didn't really know that, that I was just doing it now I realize now when I'm not so involved in, in us two, in, in either of the businesses, is, is a real passion place for me. And it allows me to frenetically jump so I can go, I can go full in for an hour on a startup, love them, help them out. Yeah. And then I can go to the next startup the next day because they probably got sick of me in that hour anyway. And yeah. I can, I'm constantly getting excited because there's always a challenge wow. or there's something I need to hype for them or, or a network. So you're getting that dopamine kick and then you're also utilizing the ADHD now in a way by investing in so many different companies and getting to work with a new team or a new company every day. It is. And um, it's a well said, mate. It's exactly what it is. You know, I find myself when someone sends me a deck and, you know, I try, my default is I hope this is going to be good. You know, I, I want to believe, I mean, I, yeah. my ADHD hit affects me in a way that even if I've got a book I want to read, I won't read it because I just, whether it's too exciting to read it or whether I just, I'm so, such a joke. But I think, so I'm, I really go, you know, it's, it's cliche, no doubt, but you know, I'm going on the founder. I, if I get an energy from them, a buzz, and I think I can yeah. kind of jump, piggyback on them and, and be there to support them in a way that I know is so powerful. Like, I don't know if that's for you, mm -hmm. but having somebody, you know, having someone, if I'm, my job I see is just to remind them that they can, they can do it. They can believe. Yeah. They should believe in themselves. And uh, it suits my ADHD because, you know, I'll bet on things that no one else might bet on. But it makes, I mean, it doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. It doesn't mean I'm mm -hmm. completely nuts. <laughs> that is insane. Just for a second, when you were CEO of us two, right, and all these businesses, I mean, you mentioned like you're 400 people in a way reporting to you. So it's almost like, if I have to use an analogy, you're a gladiator in the ring that's used to doing that. So saying like, like I follow a lot of soccer. So like at some point a player has to hang up their boots, like, all right, okay, you know what? I did my thing. My legs <laughs> can't do this no more. So you got to hang up your boots. So in a way, was that hard for you to make that transition and have somebody else be the CEO? And you're like, okay, I've done my thing and I'm moving on now to investing in other things and helping others. It's something I'm actually, I mean, it, the actual answer is no, if I have to be like specific, but then I'll unpack that slightly. I think, you know, for things to myself, when we, you know, we're two best friends that start a company called us two, at the very heart of it is heart, it's friendship. And, you know, we are, you know, in those days, 16 years ago, we had no idea about, we didn't have any ideas about values. It wasn't so easy to read about. There's such a proliferation right now of like how to build a business, how to build culture. Yeah. Is, you know, it's like, you know, I think it's a lot harder to build a business today than it is when me and Sings were building it because we just had to. Why is that? Because I think we just, I think, well, for me, there's less distraction then. You know, there was, I mean, social media was what, MySpace, oh, MySpace yes. happened. And it's just, I think we consciously went out of our way to just do things like 
learn through failing. And it's a cliche now. It's like so many cliches in this thing. But, you know, there was no, we certainly weren't aware of where you'd get access to knowledge to do things. So we just did it. And our approach to doing things was quite simply to, to be human beings. Like we're friendship, create an environment that the other people around you want to be in simply because of the fact that if we like it, they've, you've got to assume they're going to like it because we're two mm-hmm. very sociable, very hardworking, very passionate about design, super like empathetic. And we were, and it's worth noting that, you know, you can build a 400 person design company around the world when the world of mobile, when this wave of mobile is just yeah. crashing. Yeah. We're not, not crashing. Sorry. It's growing. And, you know, I think picking up, yeah, it's picking up. And I think, you know, it's all about timing. We know that. And we don't just suspect that we're any better than anyone else. I think we were extremely lucky that we had that. We would fall in love with mobile when we didn't fall in love with it. And then it became a big thing. But I think, yeah. but our star was never about being the sort of the gladiator in the center. We were, all everyone else was gladiators. We were the guys on the side, uh, you know, laughing, crying. No, we weren't really, <laughs> but we, you know, we generally were getting, we get a real kick and I still do now. And it's how I sort of do it through the, um, through investing is in seeing great people be better. So very quickly we discovered that me and Sinks were good designers, but actually you could hire far better designers you know, younger designers who, who wow. whose full focus was on the craft of design or whatever it turned out to be development. So we did the design until we didn't feel we were good enough. Like our purpose was to build a great business. Yeah. And if we wanted to be across everything, we, for us, that would have restricted our ability. Yeah. So our, our design project became us too. And that's where we put our energy in. Of course, we, we took an interest in the work, but over time, you know, you can't do that. So actually, by the time it got big, we grew this business in a big wave. And then when the wave crashed, and kind of in many ways, everybody can, is offering mobile services. Yes. All of us, you know, the differentiator is all of a sudden not there. You know, for a long time, I think, yeah. the fact that we were a studio that were, were definitely, if anyone was following us to in the early days, you know, we started, as soon as the iPhone came up, we started to invest as much money as we could afford on our own, on our own IP which ultimately became Monument Valley and us two games. But, yeah. And that journey of discovery and what we call success, success for failing, gave us a real sort of, uh, you know, we didn't think we were building like the next business there. We were t- thought we were experimenting with mobile and we were, putting our, we were putting things out there that we liked and we were having fun and we were experimenting, learning how to sell to people or not because we didn't sell many. But that became a real, inadvertent, that also became a real, lure for clients so it became it was really our marketing without again with no strategic planning in this but yeah i think once you got big and and you're kind of the problem became then is that when you're smaller you can afford to not pitch for projects because you know you can get projects in and they're probably the sort of projects that you want to do as you got bigger you know if we were a mission-driven company and we wanted to have certain criteria for the sort of projects we wanted to work on we couldn't rely yeah. on them just being done you know here we are here they come come on the conveyor belt we had to go out yeah. looking we had to learn how to start pitching we had to learn how to grow up and actually what we realized is in building a 400 person company which is all about what we refer to as being a fampany which was this this yeah. idea of you know we're not trying to say everyone's a brother and sister, but what we're trying to we're there. We're trying to blend this idea of of you know heart again, like compassion for one another. Bring your yeah. whole self to work. You know, thank God that's a, an actual big thing now. But we, you know, we were doing that many years ago. We wanted people to be real, and because we role modeled that every day by never being seen to be the boss, like no one would know we were the boss. Yeah. because we were just we weren't. We just treated people well. Anyway, when 
things started to go really, really wrong. Um, and he probably could go on it forever. But, you know, I think after Monument Valley, that was such a big moment for us. And at that stage, that was essentially a side project within the London, one of our studios, the London studio. Yeah. And that did so well. It really made things for myself think about, you know, how can you have a 400 person company that sort of makes this sort of money or it's this, and it's less about the money it makes, but it's like the, the hard work and energy you have to put into it or a team of eight, if you get it right, yeah, can make something that's so charming that all of a sudden people know who us two is overnight. Whereas, you know, four, well, eight years before that, <laughs> never heard of us. So we took our after balls. We talk about this very openly that I think if the company see, if the people, the family see the founders sort of looking at a new toy, and that combined with the fact that we probably were more of a cult than we were a properly operationally rigorous business. Yeah. It was hard. And we had to, we went through a couple of years where we really, or a good year where we thought, do we want to do this anymore? And we decided we did. And we decided that in order to, we had to grow up, we had to make changes. We had to bring in, we brought our chairman in first and she helped us understand, you know, what our skill sets were. And we brought a CEO in. Carsten, who's been with us for three years now. No, I call him a professional, you know, a professional CEO. And by that time, also games, we've we subsequently brought a CEO in the games as well. So us stepping back was actually quite easy because I don't think anyone would ever seen us as the CEOs because we always our job was to nurture people to believe they could do anything. So we were always yeah. just pushing pushing them into the rooms and we were just closing it yeah. behind them. So I've probably gone on far too long there about that. But I think No, it's like you made yourself independent of the brand. It's kind of like similar to what the Google founders have done or Alphabet now is they have disengaged themselves from the brand so they can focus on other moonshot projects. I like, I like the analogy there. That, we're very similar <laughs> to those guys there. But no, but you're absolutely, you are absolutely right. And I do think it's less conscious of that. I mean, I actually think, and I've heard Sink say this many times, is we've always wanted to do what's right for the business. Like that means that ultimately the right, it's more important to us that, us two does well than it is. I wouldn't say that me and Six do well because we've got to survive, but it, you know, the right thing to do was to bring, it needed a proper CEO. We need to batter that CEO. We need to let them have the space. We need to tell them and help them understand that we're not trying to get them to protect what we were. We want them to use yeah. the platform to become something else. And I think in that disengaging and suddenly spending a couple of years of helping the transition and it's what you called me the CEO at the beginning, but actually I don't think I ever definitely was Sinks actually did have to step in and sort of give himself that title in order mm-hmm. to, to teach the company about this idea that all of a sudden there is a figurehead as opposed to we're all in this together. Yeah. But he was very happy when we found Carsten because, you know, he was more than happy to not do that anymore. He, I mean, he was good <laughs> at it, but actually he doesn't, he, he did a job, but yeah. So then since that, you know, it's been a lot of, it's given us the time to really think about what it is we want to do. And I think, you know, having ADHD and thinking that us two is everything. And then without knowing it, realizing that about after Monument Valley, when I kind of, for me, that was the thing that I really was passionate about, like proving that we could build our own product or it turned out to be a yeah. game that would really touch the world. And, and everything that we believed in terms of how you make a product and how you believe in people was in that, pro- it was in that Monument Valley game. And then it, I realized that, my mission was no longer to build the biggest design company or the, the yeah. most successful games company because I get a lot of pride out seeing, you know, the new games coming out. We've got Alba coming out soon. I, I, know I could be no prouder, but I need to do something for me now. And that meant stepping away. And that means sort of letting go of something, which has been extremely hard. I'd say it's two years of 
pretty big self turmoil and like worry. <laughs> it turned out it didn't need me. <laughs> <laughs> Just digging a little bit deeper into that. You started us to, then you started the us to adventure where you invested in founders and helped them start their own companies, created a super hit monument Valley game. So you've done all these things and you're stepping away. And given that we have ADHD, it's very hard for us to sit still where we always want to chase a dopamine rush. Like I want to do something. So maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but how does one come to peace with like, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's okay to take a year off and just spend time with my family where I don't do anything specifically like doing this project or that project. How do you like come to peace with something like that? It's been really difficult. It has been really difficult. It's interesting you hear it. You mentioned like that because I think, I mean, even though I wasn't ever, I think what I've felt really good about is that if I wasn't actually like the CEO, and as I, say, I never was, I'll always love us to, you know, I'll always, you know, if, if I'm having a conversation, I'll, I'll talk passionately about what it is. Yeah. Although I'm not brilliant explaining it. I guess I realized, especially over COVID, I think COVID has forced me to be in this room on my own, has forced me to think about, to see that the business can thrive without me. I, I always mm -hmm. knew it would, but it really does. I mean, I guess it just gave me so much time to think. I realized that I started to realize, I mean, even today, it's funny you say that, I've, I've jumped to it, you know, I'm, this is what I'm cussing at. But I guess I realized that if I thought that if I didn't focus on it all the time, then things would go wrong. It's not even that things yeah. would go wrong. My brain would go wrong. I would feel like I'd <laughs> wasted that day. And it's, and it's really tiring. And then I started realizing that actually, if I don't focus all the time, and yet I focus high energy in a day on something, I actually get a lot, I can get quite a bit done. And maybe spending all day on it isn't the best thing. But I actually find that although now I've really forced myself to sort of take myself away from us too. So I cut my salary as in we, we stopped it. I mean, that was a, both a COVID thing as well. But also if we feel like if I'm not 100%, if I'm not adding value to us too in any shape or form, yeah. they should not be paying me. So that sort of cut, so I cut that off, which is like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> and then I just sort of said to myself, I'm actually not going to be in the studio board anymore. So, and then Sink's decided that he's going to become the chairman. So he actually, he, I chose to step out and he chose to step in, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the first time for both of us. And I've jumped a bit there, but, you know, after spending so long together, feeling like you are one person, I think we're starting to grow up a bit. Or, or start to realize that it's okay to do different things. It doesn't mean, yeah. it doesn't change the past. The past will always be the founders of us too. Um, so I, I see us too now, and I'm, I think I've done 37 investments now, whereby, wow, and you know, and that's over like four years. And, and I now see, I put us two and us two games into that pot of 37. So I, of those 37, I'm counting, even though, you know, I didn't, I guess invested my energy for 15 years or 16 years. <laughs> I see that as that's my new company whereby, I mean, I joke that I collect friends or I buy friends, but actually yeah. it's serious. It's actually what I mean. I mean, I do, I do it because I re I find that the best way for me to learn is to have those conversations with founders. And if I feel I can help them, wow, that's the winner. That is the winner. So it's a very selfish act. So how do you find these people? Or if I had to rephrase the question, if, me or anybody else listening wanted to be that 30th investment <laughs> with Mills, how would that happen? Like, do you cold email them or they reach out to you or how does that work? It's a good question because uh, it's making me actually have to think about it. I really believe in serendipity. Oh, sorry. I, I believe in it because I like it. I love how the world collides. And I guess for a good part of those investments, let's say of those, I would say 
that's been over what last four years so it could be anything it could be i meet somebody in a bar i mean it literally could be that mm. And I think actually, once you do your first investment, which was for us, funny enough, it's uh, I mean, it's very lucked out. It's a company called Trade.io, which is like one of those sort of San Fran darlings now. It's actually a UK business uh, worth like half a billion. Oh, no way. Oh, my God. And I met that founder, Rich, who's still one of my besties. I think I must have done a talk. And in that talk, he was there and we just had a few beers afterwards and I invited them to come and stay in our studio because they were looking for some studio space. So I just sort of brought them in and just, I liked this idea of this curiosity. So I let them, we had a big studio space. And I think just from that, it just, whatever happens when you do that. Yeah. Obviously where I am now is that I think people know that I do investment. I talk very openly about it. But I think for the majority of those investments, the investments were just something I liked to do. It was a side project. Mm Mm-hmm. Over COVID, it's really accelerated me to say, well, Mills, what happens if you, why are you so afraid? Because in some ways I was of committing to actually be better at being an investor. Now, for one, I mm-hmm. find the, the term so cringy being an investor. If someone could come up with a better word, I'd say I am that. But I'm being more pointed now, which means I need to be a bit more active in, in letting people know that I'm open to, to seeing people's ideas. So I started doing this thing called 0800 Talkie Time, where I just give my time Anyone who wants my time, they can email. Uh, mostly it's over email because I find it's an easier it's easier for me to yeah. do that. So we're back and forth and stuff. And yeah. in that, I might get really excited about what they're doing. And if they're really excited about what they're doing, that makes me excited. Got it. So it, it could literally be, I will say there's absolutely no theory to it. I mean, people send me stuff and I look at it and for some reason I go, yep, I love it and yet I don't. And whether it's a good thing or not, I think at least because we were just talking about this now, my wife would say it's not. I probably... All the investments I've done, it's usually been I look at it or I look at listen to them talk or on a YouTube video and I would say I'm in and I don't I don't really do much more than that. Wow. I mean, if I look at a business that I have I, I'm not that clever. So if I believe that I look at is that person in any way like I was when I was starting out? Like uh. that mean me as in me, but it's like it's I know looking back now that the reason I kept on going through all of the shit that we had to deal with was because I had this thing inside me that wanted to prove something to myself that I could do something. So what's their version of that? Why do they, I mean, again, it's so obvious, but if they've got that, there's a chance that they're going to make it because at the end of the day, you know, if they've got something that's vaguely fitting into a market, I think there's an opportunity there, you know? So I think it's the founder. And then is there any fear, like any entire portfolio that you have, like a big company that you missed out on for whatever reason that you can talk about? You know, I've started doing some investments in into, uh, in America now, and I guess I could get into that track of doing that. I think it, I talked about traders then, and that was like, I think that's a real outlier for me. That's a SaaS business. Well, actually, another one is as big, but I tend to not go for those types of businesses. I understand SaaS, but uh, you know, it's not really my field. I tend to, I'm actually not embarrassed to say that i like businesses that make money that understand how to grow that are passionate that are in no rush that you know there is a business model that makes sense that i can understand it's probably because i did the same thing myself Mm -hmm. and i don't i get such a kick out of being on that journey with them that you know i'm not obviously i don't want them all to fail yeah but i'm not in a rush that's not my primary my primary motivation is not this i'm not an investor that has to make money in order to to Ah, survive you're pushing them to go for a moonshot exit you're not trying to do any no because i mean it's not that i'm massively wealthy or anything like that but i'm not investing as my i'm not my job like it was to build us to is not to be an investor i i have a passion for this industry 
And I get a, such a motivation out of, of networking those founders, of, of learning with them. I'm super lucky with that. So, you know, anyone that does well, it's like, wow, brilliant. I can collect more friends with that money. <laughs> oh, my God. I love yeah. that. And that, <laughs> you just answered my other question I was about to ask, which was, why not just instead join a VC firm in London oh. as a partner? But then... Again, there's all these pressure. You got to like perform and have these like exits and stuff. I mean, I, could, I mean, I literally could think of nothing worse than VC. I mean, I mean, I find the whole. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I find it super cringy. I find you know what one end you've got VCs. I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing it wrong, but it's not my modus operandi to be like that. Like, I'm not going to look at like study the market and work out whether or not this thing is to become the next big thing. Because actually, I go, do I? Am I going to enjoy? The next few years, yeah. what's happening with this founder when they're in trouble or where they just want to pick me up or where they just want to send me something to look at? That is just vibes. That's cool. And I yeah. believe that well, I <laughs> believe that strategy, because I actually turn it into I believe that strategy can be just as financially rewarding as the one where you've got absolutely no sort of gut feel and you're going purely on like what yeah. is the coolest thing now <laughs> numbers i mean yeah so obviously what i need is a few of them to do really well and then i can build that story narrative <laughs> bigger and it becomes true so but uh yeah but i mean also you know we uh, in between actually monument valley and building us two we also then started a company called dice fm which is is that's we've raised an awful lot of money into that so we actually although we are the co-founders in that but phil the ceo is the driving force undoubtedly and we when we met him he's a friend he was sort of a friend of a friend of sinks's and you know that was has been seven years six years now and we decided mm -hmm. then that me and sinks we would go on this journey for a couple of years and we again that was we sort of not only did we step away because of Monument Valley, but also to focus much more on on dice and to learn about raising money and learning that side of things. So, mm -hmm. so that I had perspective on what it's like to raise money. So that when I do invest, I also know what it's like to be on that side of the table. Hence, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said that. I thought it really exciting, interesting. <laughs> no, it it makes sense because you know, like one of the quotes you said, and I'm just going to read it out loud. A couple of quotes, and then I'll make the point I'm trying to say. You said, I never focused much on commercial success and instead just enjoy the journey of making. And then you said, if you provide client services for a startup, you need to know what it's like to have built and launched one. So essentially, as a person who's helping other entrepreneurs, I feel like you've raised money, you've built successful products, you've been through the whole journey where I or anybody would rather talk to you than the marquee VC partner just because... You've been there in the trenches. So I think that gives you more of a power to relate with the person on the other side of the table. And there's an interesting one there because this morning, I mean, I get up super early now because it's like I have that, I get up at like four, which sounds like heroic, but it's just, oh well, God. it sounds heroic, but I, you know, I, I actually do it selfishly because it gives me a couple of hours where the world is asleep or certainly is over in London. Yeah. And this gives me a time to put stuff together in my head. I actually think that in answer to your question you asked earlier about why do people come to me? Well, I realized I don't, it's usually networks. It's purely network because there's actually nothing you can really find out about me. Well, that really points to the experience I've actually had. If I start taking myself a bit too, more seriously, which I've always had a problem with doing, like talk about that journey, then that's what the founder does buy into. That All the founders that I've backed yeah. love the fact uh, most of them are aware of us too. Definitely they're aware of Money of Valley. They know of Dice. They see that I've invested in loads of others. You are there. I guess they won that experience. Uh, so you're right. I guess without, now you, again, now you so kindly sort of 
highlight that stuff. You're right. I, ha- I have done a fair amount of stuff. Yeah, yeah I have. God, I'm such a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the beauty. But I mean, I know that I know, I know what I know. And I know that, you know, a lot of the investments I'm investing, though, I have no domain knowledge. Like, I'm in sort of food companies or drink businesses. And the reason I do that is because I love yeah. the design aesthetic. Or I, again, I love the founder. I think as long as I understand the business, I actually don't necessarily mind what it is. I think the majority of the investments are definitely in the creative entrepreneurship is something I'm really excited about. And launching creativity is something I'm massively excited about. So I think majority of them have are kind of like design tools, perhaps, or or definitely understand design as a very you know as a power. But the two things you the two quotes you said there, yeah, I do think. I mean, majority of our client service work would not come from startups because actually we understand that working for founders is a very you know it's certainly a very early stage. Mm-hmm. It's a very different endeavor to us working for perhaps a big legacy brand who's wanting to digitally disrupt themselves, they have a better understanding, I think, or it just works better, I think, with agency. So we tend to stay away, actually, mm-hmm. from the sort of the startup in the early stage. And I also think startups should be building their own products and services. Yeah, But I do think you're right. Uh, it's, it's definitely, a, again, with us too, I think it's helped position us too when we're pitching for big work to be able to point to the fact that we have experience. But of course, that experience isn't throughout everybody in the company. So I think we're always, you know, mm-hmm. there is certain people that have much more experience than others. So, and that's why I think that for me now, I've just, I've had my time of running and having to care about hundreds and hundreds of people. And I've loved that so much. Yeah. But to be able to now wake up in the morning and just make a decision on whether we want to invest in something because I just happened to be in that right mode at the right time because of the ADHD. The yeah. coffee was just right. <laughs> Fuck, I feel so good. I mean, it does happen like that. But I do believe that, you know, as long as the business is not completely ridiculous, there's as much chance that that will do well as one I spent years working out upon it. <laughs> so what advice would you give to design entrepreneurs that want to start their own thing and and maybe if they have ADHD, how can they leverage that? I'm definitely always a pain to sort of, when I talk about my history, I acknowledge the fact that I've always had sinks, which I talked about as, my, as a vertebrae. I've had at least my wife who's been with me for 25 years. And they have always, without them directly knowing I had it, you know, I've always been the same type of person. And having those two has allowed me to be more me. So I've leaned much more into ADHD. The first thing I say to anyone that when they contact me is and they say they want to start their own let's say design agency yeah you know i I really try to just get to the bottom of the simple thing is like do you get passionate about doing the hands-on design or do you want to build a business because they are different things and you know you can obviously run a design business and be the hands-on designer and hire somebody else ultimately to run the business obviously i did do that but i think you know i I try to get to the bottom of what they're passionate about because things myself were super passionate and about building a business. And, you know, I, I tweeted out the other day, a classic for me that I always remind myself is, you know, I felt like I was not the CEO for the first few years. I was the head of cleaning up piss from the toilet because somebody kept on pissing on the floor. <laughs> and my job was to make sure that if clients came in, you know, if I go into the toilet and there's piss on the floor, I can't leave it there. I mean, and funny enough, <laughs> oh when God. I put that out there, so many founders said, oh my gosh, we must have hired the same dude as you because that happened in our place as well. <laughs> And I think, you know, oh my God. <laughs> but, it's, but I guess for me that why that's so important is because, you know, they, obviously there is a lot of shit you have to deal with all the time. And it can be, I, 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 now I look back, one of the things that I found particularly difficult was I always took people leaving to heart. 
it was and i actually think that's a big mm-hmm. part of adhd is there's a real emotional yeah it's like a sort of is almost too much focus on that i don't know what the word is but the emotions and for i think because we are such a highly emotionally charged company some of the problems we had was that people didn't leave because i think they sensed this a this cult community we we're growing together we're all the same age no one mm-hmm. wants to leave because if you leave you left this family yeah but when people did leave you know, it was impossible for me not to to take it to heart, even though it was nothing to do with me, you know. And I understand now, when, you yeah. know, for me now, people leaving my business is a brilliant thing, as long as we haven't totally screwed something up. <laughs> because you, you realize that people have lives outside of the cult, <laughs> certainly when you're a bit older. So, mm-hmm. and they, so I think the advice is, I mean, I do think that understanding what really drives you and what your values are is important. You know, we definitely didn't have them written down when we started, but that's because we weren't aware that you could do that. And we were living those values naturally. But when we actually surfaced what our values were, I think enjoying the journey, which is about the only one I can remember, is a bit, has been a really important one. Because the times where we felt like we're going to have to let people go, we've just lost a million quid, we've, you know, we're going to have to fire somebody, we're going to have to speak to it, we're going to get fired by a client. These things hurt. And you've got to want to get through that. And I think <laughs> that's why you've got to really... I don't know, you just you just gotta you've gotta realize. Well, actually, you know what? I would actually say, and this is where where I feel I can be of help to these founders, is having people to remind you that it's just a business. It really is. You know, you yeah. know, you know, unless you are actually building something that is life and death for somebody, it's a design business. Yeah. You know, and I think <laughs> get some perspective. Be passionate, of course, but realize, you know, listen to other people. You know, we spend all of our most of our ten first ten years consciously trying to not be like the other agencies we because we didn't believe that they treated people right but mm-hmm. we were a bit naive in that we felt like if we asked for help for people externally or we got some mentors for example that would be a bit fail would fail but it wasn't you know when we brought in our cfo and when we brought in our chairman bloody hell i wish we had done it earlier because there are some <laughs> things you want to learn on the, on the job, but there are some things you don't need to learn because you can just ask them and they'll tell you. You, know, you can run it through, through yeah. somebody first. So, <laughs> I don't know. Just enjoy it. Enjoying is enjoying. If you don't enjoy it, change. That's what I'd say to them. That's what I do say to them. Love it, man. How can people follow you or contact you? I'm the most talky person on earth. That's actually something I um, I actually now say to people I invest in. Is I sort of say, you know, they'll say to me, I had an email yesterday because like, I've done like five investments in a week. And one of them said to me, oh, let's just let you know that we're going to have, a, we'll send you a, a monthly report. And, you know, so you, I said, look, the way I don't, if, you, if that works for you, cool. I doubt I will read it. But the way I'm going to be with you is that I'm 24 hours a day, like hype, man. If you need me, just WhatsApp me. So I wouldn't get my mobile out because I haven't worked out if that works yet. But <laughs> yeah, Mills Us, M-I-L-L-S, U-S-T-W-R. I'm still Mills Us. I'll always be repping the Us too. But I'm on that as instagram and twitter and i find that instagram has become my go-to place without a doubt a twitter i like just using purely as a way of externalizing the complete madness in my head i don't I'll say anything mm-hmm. i say exactly how i feel at that moment knowing full well that an hour later i might not feel it so it wasn't even me that said it yeah so yeah those things and i i, I would always ask people if they've and i do i constantly say it like reach out on email mills at us com, and i'll always get back i'm always interested Absolutely. 
he did. <laughs> that's that's how this this conversation happened. <laughs> no, no, but you know what? So that's the beauty of ADHD. I would say I do say like I'm. I was just I was, I'm looking down here, but you can't see. And actually, I can't see because there's a wall there. But I was walking. I was. I remember. I don't know how I came across it. I can't, how did I? But I was walking around the block, and it was a yeah, a lovely evening. And I was listening to you talking to. I don't know who it was at the time. So I listened to quite a Craig few. Craig Maybe it was Craig Mod, and I just. I thought, wow, I love both of it. And then I heard your story. I thought, blimey hell, brilliant. And you know, one thing I've, back to that belief thing, I said, I want to make sure that you knew that I thought you did a great job now because I had a great hour listening to that. And I think it's really important to let people know that they've affected them in a positive way. So I just mailed you, didn't I? I said, well done, mate. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I, love, I, love, love, I got the energy from you. I could hear it through the airways. And I thought, I need to, to speak to you. Well, thank you, man. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and then I missed the podcast. <laughs> oh my god oh man but it was a huge validation boost for me like you know when i released the craig mods episode and i was not really focusing much on twitter because i usually just post these episodes on linkedin but that's when i was like i was like mills like holy shit like okay and then i saw you retweeting that i'm like okay there's something here and at that point i was still not sure like if podcasting something I want to do, I had been on it. But like that was a moment where, you know, like for me, it was like a milestone. Like for you, when Monument Valley was featured in House of Cards, it's like, all right, shit, we're there, we're there. now. <laughs> so for me, it was like, all right, I need to just keep on going in this path. Oh, man, I think I'm and back, you know, jumping then back in time to your question around, well, how do I know or like when people invest in me, I, I invest in them. When I heard that podcast, you know, it, there was something it resonated with me. You know, I'm someone who really loves creative empowerment. And I could see that what you were doing with the design MBA was helping me, you know, even me, understand things I didn't know. And I thought this is a really useful, a really useful show. So I would send it, I sent it to lots of people I knew, that some of the people that I mentor, et cetera, said it's worth you listening to this. And and I and I sort of I think again, maybe part of the sort of all in ADHD stars, I you know, I prolifically for those while I'm in that moment, I just want to do everything I can. You know, and then I but yeah. then I'll have it out of sight. If it's out of sight, then I'll forget about it and I'll go on to the next sort of shiny toy. But the fact yeah. that you got back to me though, it was great. And I was like, that kept me going with you. And you know, I <laughs> so when I see people doing things that are helping other creators be creative, I, I, I love it and I love your story. It's brilliant. Thanks so much, Mills, and thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Pleasure, mate. If you made it this far, you are what I call a design MBA super fan. And I've got a gift for you, my super fan. Head over to designmba.show where you will find my email address. Email me one thing you learned from this podcast episode and I will get on a 30-minute call with you and help you in your career goals. See you in the next episode.